I uh, should probably start today just by saying that I've had a, a cold all week, feeling much better today, but I'm, as you can tell, it's played havoc with my voice. So if I just have a coughing fit today, uh, who's going to come forward and read the rest of the sermon? Anyone? Just put a hand up, we'll come right up. Okay, there's, all right, we got it, back there. When I, uh, when I first entered into ministry, Facebook was just becoming like a thing, and uh, I was in youth ministry, all the youth were joining the, the platform, and, uh, and there were all kinds of articles about how Facebook was going to be a, an important venue for ministry, and so I opened up my own profile, filled out some things about me, shared a, a picture or two, and then I, uh, I friended some of the youth that were online already on Facebook, and some of their parents, uh, in fact, any youth that I friended, I made sure if their parent was on, I friended their parent as well, and then I realized it was a great tool to connect with old friends, and so I started connecting with some old friends in high school, some old friends in, in college. A few months after I created my profile, I was tagged in a post that said something like this. I don't remember the exact words. Look what I found. Spring break 1991 pictures. As soon as I saw the post, my heart quickened a beat, and I thought, spring break 1991. Okay, uh, how, how, what, what, what did we do there? The first picture was a few of us guys, like, just, like, posed on the beach. The uh, next one was me playing ping pong. There was nothing incriminating in the pictures. To be honest, I didn't do anything on that spring break. I, I didn't do anything that I, I don't think I would want, you know, caught in a picture. Um, or that would be particularly incriminating, except for this, I did buy an I'm too sexy for this shirt t-shirt. <laughs> and wore it. If you're wondering, no, I don't still own it. <laughs> but, uh, but knowing that youth and their parents might see pictures of what happened on that trip, I, I, I truly, I started to panic. I was like, oh my gosh, what if they post other pictures? Like, I know I didn't do anything, but I don't know what the other guys have from their experiences in those pictures. What are youth going to think? What are parents going to think? And then it sent me into this whole spiral. I mean, I was like one year into ministry, and I'm like, I'd had these doubts already. I'm like, can somebody who, who has a past that isn't perfect, that's made some mistakes, that has sin in their past, can they really be a pastor? Like, is this really right? And I finally did what I should have done right away. Like three or four days, I, I lived with this. And then finally, I went to my mentoring pastor, and I just told him, I'm like, I don't know if you know about Facebook, but here's, this is Facebook, and this is what's happened, and um, some pictures have come up, and, and he's like, is there anything like you wouldn't want the world to see in those pictures? I'm like, no. And then he said this. He said, would you rather have a pastor who has made mistakes and sinned and known the forgiveness of Jesus or one who doesn't know what it's like to wrestle. And then he said, you know, just let go of the stress and the worry. It's like, and if a youth or a parent sees something and they have an issue or they want to raise it, just be ready to explain how you found new life in Christ. New life in Christ. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Holy God, open your word to us today. 
that we might learn and grow. May your spirit open us to a deeper and richer understanding of the life you offer us in Jesus Christ. A life that we're invited to live in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's an old folk tale about a beautiful bird that lived along the coast. It soared freely from harbor to harbor, bathing in the waters, catching fish to eat, much like other birds. One day, though, this bird had a particularly joyous moment, and it wanted to remember that moment, so it picked up a little pebble, a little rock, and it committed to memory the experience it had had, and it began to carry the rock with it. A few days later, the bird made a mistake. And to remember the mistake, it was like, that was a good idea. So it picked up another rock, associated it with the memory, and carried that rock with it. This practice, it became a habit for the bird. Whenever it had a a particularly good or particularly bad moment, it committed it to memory and picked up a rock to to carry to, to remember what had happened. Each day, the bird would land and set out all of its little rocks and pebbles and sort them into the good memories and laugh and remember and and all of the difficult and and painful memories and and cry and, and remember. The years passed and the bird, it kept collecting stones for each good and each bad memory. It kept carrying all of them day by day until flying became more difficult. Until one day, the bird could no longer fly. With all the stones of memory, there was too much weight. She landed on the beach and sorted the stones as was her habit and continued bravely to to guard her memories and, and pull them along. But finally, with so many stones, the bird could one day no longer move, could no longer fish. Only a little rain to provide a little drink, the bird, no longer free, perished there with only the stones remaining. What are you carrying that is weighing you down so much you can no longer fly free? This past week, I took Noah back to uh, college after his fall break. Real exciting fall break. He got his wisdom teeth pulled. He's, uh, he's doing okay in school. He's a little lonely and homesick. But he's, he's going to class. He's studying. He's getting his laundry done. His room is cleaner than it was ever at home with Cheryl and I. He's going to church, which admittedly I did not do in my first semester of college. He had lunch with the pastor. Which all leads me to ask this question, like, why am I still a mess? Like, why every time I drop him off do I wonder if, like, if I did enough to prepare him for life outside of our home? I drive home with my mind filled with, maybe I should have done this. Wait, should I have told him this? Would it have mattered if I'd have done this in parenting? I I could have done more as his dad. Would have, could have, should have. I share this observation of my own life because I have this sense I'm not alone. 
For some of us, it's parenting. For some of us, it's our work life. For, for some, it's relationships past or current. The truth is, I'm going to guess most of us have something that nags at us in our life, this weight that we carry. We, we live with shame or, or regret or, or worried that whatever past mistakes we've made are going are to haunt us. We spend time reflecting on what we could have done differently or, or should have done. Is there a way not to live with that stress, those struggles, that weight in our lives? Is there a way to, to break through all that haunts us or hurts us again and again? The answer from our faith is a resounding yes. Today, we're going to look at a part of this answer starting in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. This is what it says in Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. So this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And first, in this little passage, God identifies essentially what God did in the midst of the Exodus. Right? He's rehashing the story of, of the Exodus, how he led God's people to freedom through the, through the sea. Then God says this, forget the former things, do not dwell on them. See, I am doing a new thing now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. To really understand what God is saying, we need to know who God is speaking to in this moment. Scholars believe that this part of Isaiah, it's sometimes called Second Isaiah, um, was written after Babylon had invaded Israel, carrying many people off into exile, and essentially leaving the rest suffering under the, the yoke of the Babylonian Empire, their homes, their cities, for the most part laying in ruins. Earlier prophets, including the first part of Isaiah, had, had warned these people, what would happen if they turned away or kept turning away from God? They, they had a warning. It said, if you keep living life, turning to, to idols, not forming community around this, this love of God that you know, then, then you won't be strong enough to withstand what's coming. And they weren't. They were destroyed. These are the people to which Isaiah is speaking. These are people who could easily give up and give in, right? They're under the yoke of, an, of another empire. Maybe it would be easier just to worship their gods and, and not stay true to our God. Maybe God has abandoned us, they probably were saying at the time. These are people who, who could easily have said, we've made a mess of it all, and now we're just doomed to live in the mess that we have made. There is no hope. To these people on the verge 
of living as victims of a terrible past, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. And the first thing he tells them is, remember what I've done. Remember what I, God, have have done. Remember how I, God, have delivered my people before. And then God says something really curious. He's like, remember what I did before. Now forget the former things. And if you find that odd, it's very possible that those who first heard this word found it a little, little odd too. Wait, God, you just told us to remember. What do you mean, forget the former things? And this is really, it's really my interpretation, but I, I think what God says is, yes, remember my faithfulness, but, but don't live in the past. Don't let the past drag you down. Don't be victims of the past with no hope. Be my people who know me, who know that I have before made a way and I will make a way again. Always be looking as my people for what I am doing next, God says. I am doing a new thing. I read an article years ago, and it's one of those that I I wish I had filed at the time. I think it was even before I was in ministry, so I didn't really hang on to things like this. It's probably one of those that I read like in a a magazine at a doctor's office. But I, I remember the article was about a research project that was looking at how people um, could move past trauma in their lives. The project looked at a national sample of people and uh, with a variety of trauma. There were addictions and uh, grief and loss, abuse, violent crime. It was a number of, of different things. And it was looking at answers for methods to help people move past the trauma and into healthier lives. The researchers reported back that their study didn't yield actually any one direct practice that stood out above others. But they did observe something that they couldn't really quantify. And that was the gist of the article was, we didn't find anything there, but there's, there's something here that we want to keep exploring. And they said something appeared in almost all of the cases where people were able to move into healthier lives. I remember vividly two of the stories that they told to, is, is sort of experiences of this. The first one was a young man who'd fallen in with the wrong crowd when he was a preteen, 10, 11, 12 years old. He got in with, with the wrong group. He'd been to jail by the time he was 13, was in and out of the juvenile justice system until he was 17, and then when he was 17, he was driving a car when one of the other kids in the car shot somebody and jumped back in and they tried to run. He ended up arrested, went to prison, into the adult prison system at this time, found himself with a 10-year prison sentence. After five years, he, uh, he had made an effort to turn his life around, and after five years, he was paroled, and he went out into the workforce and tried to find a job and found it nearly impossible at that time to get a job as a, as a convicted felon. He shared with the researchers that he was, he was truly ready to, to give up, that they just figured he'd have to go back to the way he was living to eke out a living or, or something because he just, he just made a mess of his life and he figured he was going to have to live with it. He remembered, though, 
that a chaplain in prison, his grandma, when he was a kid, had always drug him to church when he was staying with her, and, um, and particularly in the times when he was getting in trouble, she'd bring him along and say, you got to get you some religion. He said his grandma would always drag him to church, and he never paid a whole lot of attention, but when he found himself in prison, he found that there was really a positive community, and his grandma was right. Maybe he did need to get some religion, and so he'd started going to, to anything that the chaplain offered. He remembered the chaplain telling him that the future was up to him. He could be a victim of the culture where he grew up, or he could write his own story. Now, about to give up, he thought, well, I found hope before in the church. Maybe I'll find it again. And so he went to talk to a pastor at the local church, and he shared his story, and the pastor listened. And then the pastor, hearing his story, said, so I hear, I hear all of that. What story would you want to write if you could with your life? What do you want your life to be about? And he said, if I could write any story, I'd, I'd want to help other young people make better decisions than I did. The pastor connected him with a nonprofit, found him a job working with kids in the juvenile justice system, and he flourished. The second story in that article was about a middle-aged mom who had lost her daughter to a drug overdose. In her interviews with the research team, she just shared again and again how crushed she was. She said it was just, it was, my life was gone. She said she lived every day with all of these questions like what could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? Was, it, were, was I at fault? Was my husband at fault? She said she started blaming others for what had happened, friends, other family members. The grief was overbearing. The anger consumed her. And for more than a year and a half, she said everything was just meaningless. She and her husband both lost multiple jobs. They couldn't function. Their marriage was in shambles. Prayer counseling church, they, they had tried all of that, everything they could think of. And then one day she said, 18, 19 months later, she was praying again and crying, and she had a moment where she realized that she could let the rest of her life be determined by the tragedy and live in this misery, or she could do something that honored her daughter's life and create meaning in something worthwhile for the future. It was a choice that she had to make. She became an advocate in her community for parenting support programs and drug education in the schools. And eventually she and her husband set up a, a foundation for counseling and support for parents and families with drug addictions. She found a way to healthier living. The researchers used these two stories to show what they found again and again, that the path to health and, and wholeness came from letting go of the past and finding a new path. They couldn't quantify it in the way that their study was set up, 
But they say it again and again. It wasn't about one method necessarily, meditation, prayer, counseling. All of those were, were part of each of the stories. But what they couldn't, couldn't say any one of those was most effective. But what was apparent in almost nearly all of the cases was that those who found a way forward had a shift in thinking. A change of focus from the past to the future. From feeling like they were a victim of all that had come before to knowing that they could be part of a new thing. A new thing. Do you hear it? Do you hear what they found without naming it from a, from a Christian perspective in any way? What they found was what we as followers of Jesus know in the grace and love of Jesus Christ that we are made new every day, that we get to choose every day to live into a new thing that God is doing. We are given a choice by God, right? To focus inward on our sins and our hurts and all the messiness and ugliness of the world and just to be anchored by them in the past and in pain or to focus on the cross. To focus on the cross, on the magnitude of God's forgiveness and love, and on the empty tomb, which says that the past is the past and God has overcome it. Which says that God has power over sin and death if we will turn our lives into that power that offers us an invitation to be made new in Jesus Christ. This invitation, it's repeated again and again in the New Testament by the early church followers of Jesus. Here are just three examples. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, or 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What's the answer to all those things that weigh us down, all those worries, all those stresses, all the sin, all the mistakes? Well, the saving grace of Jesus invites us to let go of the past and focus on God's possibilities for our future. The saving grace of Jesus Christ invites us to let go of the past, of the sins, of the hurts even, and to focus on God's possibilities for our future. We all have regrets and, and shame and guilt. Whether we're 18 or 80, we have things in our past we wish we were, that were different. Mistakes that seem hard to leave behind or messes that leave us stuck in a place while complaining or, or blaming or, or self-hating. 
into these messes, into the regrets and the guilt, God speaks to us through Jesus and says, I forgive you. I am doing a new thing. So let's invite God to break through and help us see the new thing in our lives, individually as a community. Chances are most of us have heard a message like this before. And we understand it intellectually, but, but letting go of the past, of the sins, of the hurts, of our mistakes, of our regret, right? It isn't easy. Anne Lamott has this great quote. She says, uh, every single thing I've let go has claw marks on it. Right? Which I think is why, it's why I think we have this invitation to Jesus to be made new every day to, to just keep this practice of letting go. Since the Reformation, one of the faith practices that tends to get lost or misunderstood is the practice of confession. Most of us find the idea of getting into a, a booth with a, with a priest and like confessing everything you've done wrong, confessing your sins. We find it kind of an odd or uncomfortable idea if we're, if we're not Catholic. But in that practice is something that I think as a church we shouldn't lose. Sharing with God what is holding us back from the full life that God wants for us and hearing the affirmation that we are loved, forgiven, and made new again and again, like that's a gift we should experience. That's what's contained in the, in the heart of this confessional idea. So let's Let's reclaim that practice today in the midst of this breakthrough sermon series. So I thought one at a time you'll just come up and confess to me your sins. And that, no, joking. No, I thought instead, why don't you just turn to somebody close to you and, no, also kidding. Instead, here's what I want to invite us to do. I want to invite everybody just to stand as able. If If you're willing, you can do this sitting too, but let me invite you to stand. <clears throat> right, we're going to stand here before, before the cross, before Jesus, and I want to invite you just to put your, put your hands out in front of you like this, palms open. And now I want you to, to just breathe in God's love. Breathe in the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And then just share in your mind, quietly, share, share in your mind with Jesus anything that creates guilt or shame for you. Anything that hurts so much that you just haven't been able to let go. Just reflect for a moment on those things and then place them in your hands. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a broken relationship. Just, just put it in your hands. Maybe it's those mistakes that you've made. Just put them, put them in your hands. Maybe it's that thing that you know isn't good for you, but you're having such a hard time, like, just put it, put it in your hands. Maybe it's worries that you just carry around all the time. Just put them, put them in your hands. Anything that keeps you from the full joy that God desires for you, imagine them in your hands right now. Now imagine Jesus standing right in front of you. And turn over your hands. 
And imagine as you turn your hands over, all that is in them is handed to Jesus. Imagine him taking all of those things that anchor you in the past, all those things that haunt you, all those things that cause worry and stress and shame. Imagine him taking all of those and just laying them aside. And then imagine Jesus taking your hands and saying to you, you are forgiven. You are made new. Feel Jesus looking right into your eyes and saying, you are forgiven. You are made new. You are not your bad days. You are not your mistakes. You are not your scars. You are not your past. You are a beloved child of God. And if you heard that and you thought it was for somebody else, hear it again for you. You are not your bad days. You are not your mistakes. You are not your worries. You are not your scars. You are not your past. You are a beloved child of God. And now I want to invite us to pray this prayer. We're praying all month. If you weren't here last week, we've introduced this 812 prayer. We're, we're praying it as a community, inviting everybody to pray at 812 a.m. and 812 p.m. every day. It's a prayer for God to break through in our lives as a community and into our lives personally. If you didn't get a card last week, a tent card, I want to invite you to, to grab one of those on your way out today and take it with you and join us in these prayers. Let's pray these words on the screen together. Lord, break through all that holds us back. Pull us from darkness. Expand our vision. Light our way forward together. Amen.